Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Delaney Chakraborty. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we just did an episode on that was a sampling of historic spirits. And we mostly focused in that episode on ancient alcohols. So the truly old finds that were found, as Sarah put it, gunk. The gunky alcohols. The gunky alcohols that were found as residues, some might say, on Old pottery, things that were found in tombs. Bronze vessels. Yeah, so not really stuff that you can drink. And in this portion of the episode, the second part, we're going to focus on older alcohols that you could taste if you came across one. Exactly. So things that are still drinkable, maybe not necessarily delicious. Alcohol, not all alcohol ages well, but something that does still have a liquid property to it. Most of these are hundreds of years old or even less than a 100 years old, whereas in the last episode we were talking about alcohol residues that were thousands of years old. But in this case, researchers can still study what's in the bottle, chemically analyze it, but they can also sample it. We're not going to just talk about old alcohol, though. We're going to talk about some finds that aren't really that old, after all. They're just really interesting historically. They're connected to an important historical event or an important historical figure, and we thought they were worth including. Yeah, they're just cool stories in a lot of cases. And this first one that we're going to start with is a story that I think a lot of people have probably heard about because it was so recent. It made the news. In July 2010, Swedish divers were exploring a wreck in the Baltic just south of the Åland Islands, between Sweden and Finland. At 200 feet, visibility was really bad. They couldn't see any identifying info on the ship or locate the bell. But they did find some bottles, most of them undamaged, and they decided to take some up and try to date the wreck that way. It turned out that there were about 145 bottles of champagne on this ship, very likely the oldest champagne in the world. And The dates in this really interested me, kind of perplexed me a little. Almost every article we came across puts the shipwreck at 1800 to 1830 and the alcohol, obviously, around that same period. I did find one outlier, though, one date that is significantly before that. And it kind of made some of the points that the articles made, mentioning that perhaps this alcohol was a shipment from Louis XVI of France to the Imperial Court of Russia, which if we're talking 1800 to 1830, that doesn't make sense because Louis was dead. These dates make it seem a little more natural. The champagne included bottles of Veuve Clicquot, which is one of the finest brands of champagne even today. And that brand was first made in 1772, but those bottles were laid down for at least 10 years. So using that date, it seemed like the wreck couldn't be older than 1782, but couldn't be after 1788 or 89 because the Champagne House's production was disrupted, obviously, during the French Revolution. So a little discrepancy there. I'm not entirely sure about when this wreck really happened, judging by the articles written on it. Yeah, and once they figure out more details about the wreck, that may become more clear. So the story there is still developing. But what about the champagne itself? Does it really last that long? And apparently we find that, yes, it does. I love the story. great news. <laughs> yeah, I love when you're reading the stories about when they brought the champagne up. And it's like that some stories say that the divers, that 
when they brought it up, the pressure of coming to the surface, pop the cork, or maybe they pop the cork themselves. But they tasted it expecting to taste seawater and found that no, in fact, it actually tasted good. It tasted just like champagne. And an Oland wine expert who sampled the bottle described it as absolutely fabulous. She even described looking at the samples in her fridge after they weren't being consumed anymore and just thinking it was absolutely miraculous that she had these. So it turns out that the Baltic made a pretty great storage spot for champagne for really long-term storage. It's got a constant cold temperature, but it's never going to freeze. And there's no light, which can quickly degrade champagne. So even though some of these champagne bottles may have been cracked or the corks had corroded and maybe ruined the taste, a lot of them were still intact and they were available in November for a taste when they were two bottles were cracked open. A Bloomberg writer named Richard Vines described it thus. He said that the Juglar was, quote, remarkably fresh. The fizz had almost gone and it was too sweet for today's palate, yet it retained a distinctive smell of orange and raisins like a Christmas cake. It might still be served as a dessert wine. Well, so that description must have been pretty tantalizing to some people, apparently, because two bottles of the champagne, one of two different kinds, sold for 54,000 euros, which is the equivalent to $78,975 to an anonymous buyer from Singapore just this summer. So I'm curious, like, who would that person be spending 78000 almost $79,000 on champagne. Somebody like me who likes sweet wine, I guess. <laughs> it was to Blina, everybody. It was not <laughs> I me. Expose, expose her here. Lies. <laughs> I did not buy the champagne, so don't start any rumors with that, Sarah. But I will say that there is a point of interest here for people who don't like champagne or wine even. There was also beer found in the shipwreck. After the champagne, they found the world's oldest drinkable beer, also 165 feet under the water. Well, and the way they realized it was beer is kind of interesting. They were bringing up one of the bottles of the champagne when it exploded because of the pressure. And instead of expelling something that looked like champagne, it was this dark liquid. And it was pretty clear that's not champagne, it's beer. So five bottles total were recovered, and they're currently being studied by the Technical Research Center of Finland. And just this June, they reported back that the first bottle that was open had unfortunately been contaminated by salt water, so not so lucky as the champagne. Unfortunately, also the yeast cells had been killed, and they were hoping that maybe they could reculture those those yeast cells from old, even though they were able to detect live lactic acid bacteria, which that's kind of fascinating to me that this bacteria has been growing in this bottle for centuries now. Yeah, so maybe not something that you'll want to bid on right away, but it is interesting to see what the beer was made of back in the day. And there's still those other bottles left to study, so it's hoped that perhaps some of them weren't contaminated by salt water and still have something semi-drinkable or at least maybe some yeast cells that they can start growing. So our next entry takes us away from champagne and beer to something a little bit harder. In 1907, Sir Ernest Shackleton made a push for the South Pole with his endurance expedition. He got close about 100 miles away, but he decided to turn back and save his men, unlike some other polar explorers that we won't mention here. (laughs) When Shackleton left, though, in 1909, in March of that year, winter ice was forming, so he got out really fast and he had to leave some cases of whiskey behind. The trip in general had kind of a strange packing list. It had ponies, a motor car, man-pulled sledges, 
a cocaine forced march pills, but also tons of booze, 25 cases of whiskey, 12 cases of brandy, and six cases of port. That's a lot to bring. There were not that many guys going on this trip either. So that unconsumed whiskey was found buried under two feet of ice in Shackleton's hut. Again, like the champagne, this is going to prove to be a really great storage condition. But researchers, researchers have wondered why exactly Shackleton left it behind besides that impending March ice. Some think that he might have intended to return and in which case it would be nice to already have a little store of whiskey waiting for you. But others think that it was the secret stash of another expedition member, somebody who had pocketed a few bottles or cases. I mean, that seems like it would be difficult to do, but had created his own secret store of whiskey. Regardless, the store was lost until 2006. Nobody really remembered it was there. That's when explorers located the bottles and later came back with special drills to extract them. But it's interesting, the modern connection here, because there is a company that still manufactures this brand of whiskey, and they got pretty interested. Yeah, once the whiskey was identified as Rare Old Brand by McKinley and Company Whiskey, the company that now owns McKinley and Company, White and Mackey, was very interested in obtaining samples and recreating the scotch. So in January 2011, a case finally returned to Scotland where it was analyzed before they had to return the bottles. Everyone expected something really heavy and peaty fitting with the taste of the times, but instead it was really light. People were pleasantly surprised, and the chemical analysis they were able to do proved that this was a pretty high-end whiskey, or at least it seems now. They, The people who made it clearly went to some trouble to do so. The water was from Loch Ness. And the peat was from the Orkney Islands, and that was used to smoke the barley. So White and Mackey tried to recreate the taste. They couldn't just wait years and years and let it age. They had to create a blend. But they're now selling Shackleton's whiskey for a pretty hefty sum, not as much as those bottles of champagne, but still $160 a bottle. So a, an interesting resurrected alcohol there, kind of akin to the beers we talked about in the last podcast. Yeah, and actually when you think about some of the prices, price tags we've been throwing around, that's a pretty affordable sum. With the next entry on our list, though, we're going to move back to one of those heftier price tags and also a historical event that I think everyone's probably heard of. On November 14th, 2009, a bottle of Lowebrow Lager broke the world record for a price paid for a bottle of beer when it sold for more than $16,680 or 10,000 pounds. So you have to think it must be a really good bottle of beer, right? Actually not. (laughs) Yeah, not at all. It just has a really good story behind it. That beer was actually on the Hindenburg when the German airship exploded as it landed in New Jersey in 1937. So the Zeppelin, as we know, was engulfed in flames, killing 38 people and injuring 60. And while cleaning up the airfield later, a New Jersey firefighter named Leroy Smith stumbled across a few items that survived the crash intact, six bottles of lowbrow beer and a pitcher. All right. So this firefighter buried the items so he could come back and get them later because at that point the area had been sealed off by the authorities. Once he retrieved them, he kept one for himself and gave the other five to his colleagues as sort of mementos of this crash. Most of the others ended up being lost, but one was donated to the Lowbrow Company after Smith's friend, who had had it, died. 
And Smith's bottle and the pitcher passed on to his niece in 1966, and they were put on sale in 2009 by the auctioneers at Henry Aldrich and Son. So we had these two bottles kind of coming through, plus the the pitcher, which um, all managed to survive the crash. And there was fierce competition for that bottle of beer that was auctioned off, including telephone bidders, mostly from the U.S., before it sold. And the pitcher, which is silver-plated and bears the logo of the Zeppelin Airline Company, sold for almost as much. Prices paid for these items were actually greater than those paid for items connected to Elvis, Diana Ross, and Paul McCartney, which were auctioned off on the same day. Well, there's a survivor element to it, that it did manage to survive a, a crash like this, but... There's a catch. We didn't say it was good. (laughs) You can't actually drink the beer. Auctioneer Andrew Aldrich told BBC News, quote, it is probably quite putrid to taste. So I don't know. Maybe that would be a relief if you spent that much money on alcohol, if you couldn't go ahead and drink it. Yeah. Well, you're obviously just buying it for its historical value. But even for that, I think it's it's probably worth it to a lot of people. Our next entry, though, didn't involve just keeping an expensive bottle on the shelf as some sort of historical artifact. This anonymous buyer actually consumed the drink we're going to talk about next. Okay, so we'll just tell you the story straight out and then give you a little background on the alcohol involved. In 2005, an anonymous guest, anonymous to us, that is, at Penny Hill Park Hotel in Bagshot, Surrey, made headlines when he bought a bottle of Dalmore 62 whiskey for 32,000 pounds or $58,000 and then proceeded to drink it with a group of his friends. Like right away, too, right? Yeah, pretty much right there in the hotel. And this wasn't just any fancy whiskey. Dalmore, which is a tiny Scottish distillery, created it by combining casks of malt from 1868, 1878, 1926, and 1939 to make the single malt, which made the youngest of the ingredients 62 years old, hence the name, when it was bottled. So it was one of only 12 of these bottles ever made, and each of the 12 bottles is named after different characters and events in the distillery's history. So they kind of added their own historical twist to it. The one that was consumed at the hotel was called the Matheson, after Alexander Matheson, who founded the distillery in 1839. One bottle is still left at the distillery. Others were sold to private collectors. But it's not like you could just go up to a bar and and order one of these remaining bottles and put down your 32,000 pounds and walk away. According to an article in The Telegraph, the hotel bought its bottle from dealers for around 31,000 pounds, quote, little expecting it to be drunk. Another one of these bottles, for instance, has sold at auction in 2002 for 25,877 pounds and 50 pence. So it seems like there's a little range here for what you'll pay for one of these bottles. But the price paid by the hotel guest ended up being the world record for a single Nobody seemed too upset, though, about the fact that he drank it. An employee who looks after the hotel's VIP guests got to taste it. He was offered a taste, and he said that the flavor was, quote, exquisite. And he said that the the buyer, the person who bought it, quote, has the philosophy that there's no point in buying these fine whiskeys and never drinking them. I can I can get behind that idea. I can, too. I kind of like that. And the hotel manager wouldn't identify the buyer, but he said that he was a, quote, regular hotel guest and a private collector of fine spirits. Well, clearly. 
The distillery's master blender, Richard Patterson, was also quoted as saying that he was happy the bottle had been opened, shared, and enjoyed. And the buyer, you know, obviously doesn't have that whiskey anymore. He has the memories. He he has the memories of drinking it, and he still has the bottle to save. I don't know if he did save it, but he would have that and the presentation case. So maybe he saved those as souvenirs. And maybe they'll be recreating this one, too, and issuing some more, although I'm sure that wouldn't help those high auction prices. So that concludes our tour of historic spirits through the ages. We've started with the Chinese Neolithic grog and gone all the way to this hotel guest who was willing to spend quite a pretty pence on a bottle of scotch. And I like ending on that note. I like ending on the the aged alcohol that could be enjoyed. It's like almost a different way of appreciating history. It certainly is. So if you have any more cool alcohol finds you want to suggest to us, I mean, there are so many out there. This was a very edited list. You can email us. We're at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Missed in History, and we are on Facebook. And if you want to learn a little bit more about spirits, I know I, for one, am no expert in the area, I have to admit, but winemaking in particular, we have an article on our website called How Winemaking Works, and you can look it up by visiting our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. 